I was always told that I was too young to do the things I wanted to do and that I didn't know enough and that I was naive. Oh my God, that word naive drives me crazy. Hi, I'm Jennifer, and this is Career Day Out of Office, a podcast highlighting unconventional career paths with influential stories. Join us, brand marketing agency Baibaba, as we hear firsthand the journeys, lessons learned, and advice from creative forces who have manifested their own way. Today I am out of office with Asia Mayrock. Asia is the number one best-selling author of The Survival Guide to Bullying. She has traveled the world to speak to students, educators, community leaders, and politicians. She has performed poetry and spoken word to over 4 million people in the last four years, including at venues like Madison Square Garden, SXSW, Girl Boss Rally, the United Nations General Assembly, amongst many others. Last year, Asia was named one of the Today Show's Heroes of the Year for her writing, poetry, and activism. Hey, Asia. Thank you for joining us on Out of Office. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I want to kind of dive right into the beginning. What did you initially want to be when you grew up? So when I was really young, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, But then as I got into, I would say, like my preteens, I really fell in love with writing and performing, and I always wanted to tell stories in some capacity, whether it was as a writer, as an actor, as a singer, whatever it was. Do you think if you weren't all of the many things that you are right now, you would possibly be a veterinarian? (laughs) I don't think I would be a veterinarian, but I think I definitely would be doing something in a creative field. with some element of performing or writing. When did you kind of see the shift? Um, At what age and sort of was it a class that sparked it or like a project? When did you start to realize that writing was something that you really wanted to pursue? So when I was younger, I had two speech impediments. I had a lisp and a stutter. So I always loved performing and I I wanted to be an actor, but I was never cast in my school plays because of my speech impediments. And if I was cast, it was like the roles where there were one or two lines. And actually, I remember it was a great lesson. My mom would always tell me that um, you can have the biggest role from the smallest one. Like it's it's your choice how you take that opportunity and make it huge. That's great advice. It was great. And I think as a writer, it also taught me because – I always had the smallest role and I would have like one line and I would be reading this line and trying to figure out what to do with this line to make it the most impactful. And I realized that the writing of it was crucial to like you you could say three words and it could make someone melt, but it's about how it's written. So I think around that time I was struggling to find my place as someone who loved the creative spaces, but wasn't really welcomed in those spaces because of these things that were different about me. And so when I wasn't cast in plays, I would just write. And then as I got older and I dealt with bullying and mental health issues, I realized that whenever I was suffering in my life, writing was this refuge for me. It was this place where I could find some sense of purpose. I could release everything I was feeling 
into words on a page, and it was kind of magical.、Um, so I think I was using it as my therapy, and also exploring it as a career, as young as eight years old, without ever really realizing it. Wow,、yeah. that's super impactful. I think a lot of creative outlets truly are a form of therapy,、yeah. and for a lot of people, that's how. They start to fall in love with it. That's maybe why they enter, and then they realize exactly that they want to pursue it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel whether it was through influence from family, friends,、mm. teachers? Do you feel that you were taught growing up to follow a more conventional career path? Hmm. I love that question. From from school, from teachers, I was definitely taught that. I remember in third grade, my teacher asked me. What I wanted to be, and I said that I wanted to be a writer, and she said to me, "Well, that's never going to happen. You you can't have a job as a writer, so you might as well think of something else." And I remember thinking to myself, "You're wrong. Like I'm going to prove you wrong," because I always loved proving people wrong. <laughs>、um, that was like, oh, that was the best feeling in the world, even at eight years old.、Um, but for my family, I would say my parents are not in. The creative industries,、um, and they did have more traditional career paths. So I think I was telling them these things at such a young age, and I think it scared them because they, you know, were like, "This entertainment world is very unstable," which they were totally right about.、Um, but my parents never believed in clipping my wings. They always believed in allowing me to fly and pursue my dreams. And if I failed, I failed and pick myself back up and keep going. And so, I was very lucky to have that.、Um, and I think the more I was able to show them that there were ways to、um, make money as a creative person,、uh, the more reassuring it was that this was a path that could make sense. I think that's something that's so interesting to note because I also grew up in a household where my parents were always encouraging dreaming and、yeah. vision boards, and you can be anything you want as、yeah. long as it makes you happy. Yeah. But also simultaneously in school, you do have, ironically, guidance counselors and these、yeah. kind of figures that sometimes really try to be super realistic in a tough way with students, and I think. For majority of kids, they don't always come home to a household that is so open to、exactly. unconventional career paths, and so then they're really, from a young age, taught to kind of dim their light. Exactly, absolutely, and I think it's such a good point because I was so lucky to be able to come home and have parents that really, just as you said, were. Telling me to fly and to try all these different things and to experiment and chase my dreams,、um, and I don't know. I can't imagine what it's like to come home and not have that, and also be told by everyone around you that your dream is not possible. And especially if you come from a family that that doesn't know anything about the industry you want to go into, and it is kind of like a big leap. Like I was 15 years old, and I was writing. Um, Steven Spielberg and Catherine Bigelow emails and trying to work for them as like an, an intern or an assistant、uh, because I didn't know how to take that path to go towards my dream. So it's true; it's so important to have someone in your life that is telling you, "Yes, you can." And you're right; so many people don't have that. Was it your 
book, The Survival Guide to Bullying, that really led way for your path in activism and human rights? I think that my path towards activism and human rights began even before my book. I, I When I look at my writing as a younger kid, I was always writing about historical genocides and events, the Holocaust, things that happened, like imagining a young person maybe similar to my age in that time period and fictionalizing that. Uh, but when it came to my book, a year before I started writing my book, when I was 15, um, I had just gotten through all these years of bullying and I was dealing with the mental health effects of having gone through that. And around that time period, there were so many young people committing suicide because of bullying and it was all over the news. And I was so angry that those young people didn't know that they could survive and that suicide wasn't the answer. And I knew that pain, but I, I was so angry that no one was there to help them and to show up for them. And so I began writing because of all all those feelings that I was I was feeling and, and the anger and the confusion. And I wrote a screenplay about bullying and suicide that was made into a short film and it won the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. And that was the moment for me where I was like, okay, I have a voice. I love writing and telling stories. Now, how can I take this to the next level and really reach as many people as possible? And then like a year later, I started writing my book. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Where would you say, what would you credit your inner strength to? Because as you mentioned, a lot of people, a lot of kids, especially when they are being bullied, they can kind of easily fall into a hole or feel there's really no way out. Yeah. I mean, I will say I I did fall into that hole many times. I don't really know why I was able to get through it the way that I did. I think part of it came from the fact that even though I didn't talk to my parents about what I was going through, I knew that they were there and my parents would have listened had I been able to communicate that. I think also I always had these really big dreams for myself. And even though I allowed people to make me feel like I was worthless and that I didn't deserve to live, I did not want to allow them to take those dreams from me. Because for me, that was the light at the end of the tunnel, was becoming a storyteller in whatever way. Like that was how I was going to make it through and and honestly, at that point in my life, that was how I was going to show people that I was worth it. So I think that helped me. Um, but I, you know, I don't know what separates anyone from someone who gets through it solidly versus someone who doesn't make it through or makes it through, you know, really broken. I was talking with a friend the other day who also her her career, she puts herself out there in forms of, of videos um, on YouTube. Also, her writing is out there on a major platform. And with that, you're constantly receiving criticism. Yeah. Also, you're receiving very positive feedback. Yeah. But anytime you are putting yourself out there, there is the twofold that you may receive some negative feedback as yeah. well. And especially in the creative world, it's such a vulnerable space mm. to put something out there with your name on it mm. or your face. How do you how do you deal with that? I think how I deal with criticism now is different because of what I went through. I think that 
I have a really thick skin and I also separate my writing, even though my writing comes from me and and it is part of me, I separate it from myself. Um, and so when I do receive criticism about something that I've created, I just see it as an opinion that, you know, if it's if it is well thought out, I'll, I'll read and I'll give it my time. Um, but if it's just someone hating on me, like I really don't care. Um, I, I like to look at really mean criticism and like kind of cyberbullying as if you are not doing what I'm doing, then you don't really have anything to say, right? If you're sitting behind your computer, um, spending your time attacking other people rather than working towards your dreams, then I don't really value what you're saying. And I also think that sometimes you can learn things from what people say, you know, if again, if it's well thought out and if it um, has a valid argument. But other times, you know, I, I try to distance myself from it and know that I am following my vision and my dream. And if other people don't like that, I don't really care. Um, and as long as you are really true to what you believe, then I think you're on the right path. And it, it really doesn't matter what anyone says. If it really is affecting you, and sometimes it has to me, I'll just put my phone down and not pay attention and go do things in the real world because I think it is important to disconnect and give yourself that space. Totally. And going back to something you just said about separating yourself from your writing, I think that's super, super powerful. Does this help when you go back and read pieces that you've wrote many years ago and not yeah. have such like a, a critical hat on when you're reading these pieces? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I will go back and, and read things that I've written and stuff that is out there and be like, why? <laughs> why did I write that? But then when I realize that, you know, I like to look at myself as the vessel and I don't really I'll, I'll write things and I'll have no idea where they came from. Like there are things that maybe I have no experience in or I or I don't know anything about. So I try to see myself as the vessel and the writing comes through me and um, I don't need to explain it. And it is separate from who I am and I love it, but it isn't me necessarily. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to have as a creative person in general uh, because creativity and art is so fluid and it's um, there's no rhyme or reason for why or how something is created and so whether it is rejection or criticism or just reading something that you've written so long ago that you don't relate to anymore if you can separate it and have those boundaries I think it actually makes you a better artist and creativity is something that's constantly evolving yeah. You know, so you're always going to improve. You're always exactly. going to change your tone, yeah. change your vision. So when you do look back at your work, yeah. at times for, for certain people, it could be something where you look back and you're super critical of your work. Yeah. But also I think it's a nice gauge to reference and see how much you have grown creatively. Yes. And then other times I'll read something I wrote and be like, wow, that was so raw. And I was in such a different space and I wish I could create that again because there is something to be said about you know when you're 15 years old and you write something and you haven't experienced a lot of things in your life or you haven't been polished in any way there is something so beautiful to that so I think you're right I mean it's reflecting on so many levels will give you perspective on the magic at every stage of life 100 percent 
And going back to your book, The Survival yeah. Guide to Bullying, can you tell us a bit about the process in getting that book published? Because I know originally it was self-published, correct? Yeah. So I wrote it when I was 16, and I was sending it to publishers, trying to get it out there, and everyone rejected me because I had no literary agent. I didn't know anyone in the industry, and I was just a 16-year-old like cold calling the biggest publishers in the world. And so I decided to self-publish it, and it was out online as a self-published ebook for one month and I was really just I wanted to get it into young kids hands I made it four dollars because I just wanted everyone to be able to afford it um and you know that was my only goal and then within one month all the publishers that rejected me came back and they were like hey can we buy your book now just one month just one month but I I was hustling like crazy I would cold call every news show every radio show every newspaper I was speaking at schools all around my town Um, and so then within a month it took off online and they came back and then I wound up selling it to Scholastic and they published it in print um, I think like five months later That's incredible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Journify. With our podcast, Out of Office, we aim to inspire those through the stories of unconventional career paths. Whether looking to make a major career shift in industries, try something new, or simply follow a path less traditionally followed, it's important to stay grounded in your decision. Something that's not always easy to do. That's why we resonate so much with Journify, a wellness coaching platform that matches individuals with their ideal coach. When facing career transitions and shifts, Journify offers a personal coach who is there to help better define your goals, set achievable milestones to avoid burnout and stress along the way, and come up with an action plan with accountability. If you're looking for a career mentor or life coach, visit journify.co and use the code podcast for a discount on your first session. And now, back to today's conversation with Asia. How did you break into spoken word performances? I always loved writing poetry, but when I was in sixth grade, we had a poetry unit for school, and we had to write a collection of poetry. And I got an F on my poetry. And let me tell you, I looked back at my poetry, and it was pretty amazing. So I am not so happy about that. But... um, That moment for me was very discouraging, and I decided in sixth grade at 11 years old that I hated poetry, and I would never, ever do poetry again. So what I've realized about life is that uh, the universe or whoever is listening definitely whenever you say I'm never going to do something is going to like force you to do it. (laughs) Because if you told me at 11 years old that 11 years later... I would be performing poetry around the world and most of my time and energy would be focused to spoken word and poetry, I would laugh in your face. I didn't write poetry for maybe six years after that slap in the face of the F on my poetry assignment. And then I started writing poetry when I was 17 again and I was really struggling with my mental health, but I did not call it poetry. And my mom was like, this is great poetry. And I was like, that's not poetry. Don't tell me that's poetry. (laughs) Um, so I really had a thing out against poetry. And then when I sold my book, my first book, I had 10 poems in it. And, um, again, did not call them poems. Uh, but I, after that moment, my, my publisher, I remember saying to me, they were like, 
these poems are our favorite part of your book. Like they're so powerful. They're so strong. And I, I just didn't believe them. And then I went on my book tour and I was going to be speaking to millions of students over the course of a few years across the country. And I didn't know how to communicate with them that wasn't in like an archaic school assembly type of way that I had experienced and didn't like, and I'm sure they didn't like. So I wrote my story about bullying into a 10-minute poem. And at every place I visited, I would perform this 10-minute poem. And it would take you through all of the years I was bullied and my rock bottoms and the moments where I triumphed and how I got to where I am today. And the first time I did it, it was in front of 150 third through fifth grade students. And they got up in the middle of my poem and they stormed up to, they like ran up to me and surrounded me and they just like watched me. And then I finished my piece and I'm like, what do, what do I do? Like, and the teachers were like, what is going on? I, can't, I don't know. How do we handle this? And one student took the microphone from me and started sharing their story and then passed the microphone and another student started wow. sharing their story. And I realized that because of the, the cadence and the rhythm of spoken word and poetry, these students felt like some door had been opened for them and they were able to share their story. So I continued performing it. And then I realized that uh, I was getting all these messages from students who were writing their story into poems, whether it was about something unrelated to bullying or whether it was about their worst day in school or whatever it was. Um, and so after I finished my tour over the course of a few years, I started writing poetry about what I felt it was like to be a girl in this world today. It was right after the election, and that piece was called The Truth About Being a Girl. And after that, I filmed it with BuzzFeed, and it went viral. And from that point forward, I've fallen so in love with poetry that my 11-year-old self is laughing hysterically. And I continue to write it and continue to work on a lot of projects around it. And um, I'm very grateful that I rediscovered poetry. <laughs> I actually wanted to talk about your performance, The Truth About Being a Girl, and how it truly went absolutely viral. Yeah. What was your process like in writing this piece, and what initially prompted you to speak to this? So what prompted me to speak to The Truth About Being a Girl was I got into an argument with a few guys, and this was right after the election, uh, the 2016 election, and essentially these guys were very misogynistic and very sexist and they were saying things uh i won't even go into it but it was a really shocking moment for me because these were peers that i'd been friends with and suddenly i saw how they viewed women and i realized that they clearly did not see me as their equal even though they had been masquerading around our friendship like we were equals. When their views came to the table, I couldn't believe it. And I was, again, I was so angry. I was feeling all these feelings. And so I did what I knew how to do best when it came to expressing myself, which was writing. And I actually wrote The Truth About Being a Girl in 10 minutes. Wow. 10 yeah. Minutes. It's something I've learned about my writing process. My best pieces are written in 10 minutes. If it takes longer, it's not my best piece. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. It just poured out. And then I was like looking at it and I was like, where did this come from? And I called my dad and he was like, what? <laughs> <Where> did, what? 
It's almost as if it was waiting to be told. Exactly. That's so my belief around writing is that we everyone like I think everyone can be a writer and we all collectively have these wells inside of us and things are waiting to be told things are waiting to come through you and it's I think about that moment that ignites the fire. You also recently did a piece with Refinery29 and the nonprofit organization Disrupt Aging. Yeah. In which you you spoke to the stigma surrounding age. Is this a topic that you personally feel very passionate about? Absolutely. I uh, from the time I can remember, I was always told that I was too young to do the things I wanted to do and that I didn't know enough and that I was naive. Oh my God, that word naive drives me crazy. And it would make me so angry to be told these things year after year as I was growing up by everyone, teachers, like everyone. So doing that piece with Refinery and Disrupt Aging was very, very powerful because it was the first time I felt like a company and a nonprofit understood the frustration around young people being told that they are too young or that they don't know enough yet. And my question is, the world needs work, right? We we have a lot of progress to be made. What are we waiting for? Like young people have always been on the forefront of revolutions in history. And I think recently we've seen with the March for Our Lives students, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with all of these movements, there are young people on the forefront that are starting these uh, conversations. So you've definitely encountered moments of age discrimination. Is it something that you feel you've grown out of, no pun intended, or is it something you feel you still face? No, I definitely still face it. I'm 23 and um, I am constantly told by people I work with, I mean, across the board, that I'm not ready to write this yet or I'm not ready to do this yet because I'm too young or I don't really understand, you know, the financial aspect of this contract because I'm too young. I haven't had enough experience. It's ongoing. And I think that especially for women, there is no middle ground. I think you're either too young or you're too old and there's no middle ground where you're like just right. So I think it's a constant battle and I I don't think it'll ever go away, but I don't care. I'm going to keep challenging it. What methods do you practice to combat ageism? When I go into a space where I know I'm going to encounter ageism or it just might be a possibility, I am fully educated on whatever the topic of discussion or debate is because I think education is such a powerful tool. And even if someone looks at you as if you are not experienced enough or not prepared enough, if you have the education and knowledge to back whatever you need to debate, then you will be so, so, so fine. And also know that it's never going to go away. It's always going to be a thing that is there and that you're going to encounter in so many spaces. So just be prepared to never stop fighting for what you deserve. One time somebody asked me this question because I definitely faced ageism as I think so many women have. Yeah. And oftentimes I have a baby face and so mine yeah. comes before I even open my mouth mm -hmm. and before I even tell someone my age because people already assume my age Absolutely. and they assume that it is much younger than what I am. Yeah. And my response to that was, I've went through this my whole life. Yeah. I know I'm going to face it. So at the end of the day, I just have to let my work speak for itself. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I that's a great point. And I also think there is something to be said about 
um, using the fact that people do not suspect you to be as qualified or as experienced as you are, they're going to use it against you. But if you take that and you shock them and you make their jaws drop by just how qualified and talented you are, there's something so satisfying to that. Um, And it's something that I love to do whenever I can. (laughs) I totally agree. With your platform, I imagine you receive a ton of outreach from peers, fans, followers, be it looking for advice or expressing something occurring in their life or simply just sharing how much they look up to you. I can imagine that there's also a lot of pressure that comes along with this. Mm. How do you deal with that? There definitely is a lot of pressure when receiving all of these messages from so many young people who are going through a variety of different issues and struggles. I was thinking about this last night because I received a message from a a young girl who was really suffering with some mental health issues. And truthfully, I hadn't seen the message because I, I get hundreds of messages a day. But I came upon it because she kept sending me messages about how she was so annoyed that I wasn't responding. And then when I looked at her original message and saw what she was going through, I responded to her and I said, look, I am not a doctor. I am not a psychologist. I can give you my advice, but I'm worried for your mental health from what you are telling me. And these are some hotlines that you can call. And these are professionals that can definitely help you through what you're going through. Um, But it's definitely can be very challenging because my nature is to be able to like I want to help in whatever way I can, especially when people are coming to me. Um, But I have to realize at the end of the day that I don't know these people's lives. I don't know what they're going through and I am not a professional. So creating those boundaries has been very important. Um, And of course, I, I respond to messages constantly. But there's a level of message where someone is really struggling and they're in a dark place where it's hard to see that and know that no matter what, I, I can't help them. Yeah, I imagine that's that's very difficult. Yeah. Because I'm sure you definitely receive these because of people looking up to you and seeing your journey and where you are now and yeah. hoping that you can help them. But to what you were saying, there's there's an extent um, to how you can help because at some point it does have to be turned over to professionals and doctors who have a really really expansive knowledge of this right absolutely it's it's definitely um something that i've had to really come to terms with and know that i'm so grateful for all these young people that follow me i call them the asia fam like we're this one big family but there definitely is a time where you know it's important for people to know that I am not a professional and and there are professionals out there that can help them. Speaking of your followers and your fans, you have some exciting news for us regarding your second book. Can you share with us a little bit about it? I am so excited because I just recently sold my next book and it is going to be a poetry book. Uh, And I'm so excited. It's something that I've wanted to do for so long. And it really tackles the subjects of gender equality and finding your voice and resilience. And I can't wait to share it with the world. When can everyone expect to potentially see more bits and pieces of this? I don't know the exact date, but it is coming soon. So I will be posting more on my Instagram when I know. And we were kind of speaking to this earlier. This is a topic that truly fascinates me and I'm always super interested in. 
what is your writing process like? My writing process has evolved every single day over the last few years as I've taken writing more seriously as not just a hobby, but as a job. I write very well under pressure, but at the same time, that is not the most efficient way to be a writer. So I've learned that the best time for me to write is in the morning, before I go out and have my day, before I even eat. So I like to wake up, have a cup of coffee, and start writing. And I need to be in complete quiet. I need to turn off internet and phone, everything. I prefer to handwrite everything. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned about the writing process for me personally is that my biggest hurdle is not writer's block, is not time, because you can write on the train, you can write wherever. My biggest hurdle is judging my writing before I write it. So to put my pen to paper and really, truly not judge whatever is going to come out as terrible as it might be, which often it can be, is a huge hurdle. But once I've overcome that and found the tips and tricks around that, I've discovered my best writing. And more importantly, I have felt the most content about my writing. Do you write every day? I would like to say I do, but I don't. I am trying to now that I am working on my next book. I think that writing is a muscle and similar to working out. The more you do it, the more confident you feel, the stronger you'll be at it. So it's something that I am working on. Um, but I definitely write at least five days a week. I just, I think if you can do it for 15 minutes a day, it's best to do it every day. And this is something that we were talking about before. There's a really fine line when it comes to the writing process between routine mm. and chore. Yeah, yeah. And how do you, how do you keep a routine but yeah. still feel creative and not feel like you're you're drained or you're becoming burnt yeah. out because this is something that you're almost forcing yourself to do. Personally, I haven't really reconciled that until very recently. And I realized that um, if I write for 15 minutes every single day, I no longer see writing as a chore. But that doesn't mean I see it as a routine. I just see it as something that I can do. And if I'm really not judging myself, then it's something kind of fun or therapeutic. And I could literally write, I hate I hate this over and over and over. Uh, but I'm exercising that muscle of forcing myself to put pen to paper. And I think once you do that, it becomes more habitual and it becomes easier to go from I hate this, I hate this, I hate this to actually writing something that comes from the well within you. So, again, similarly to exercise, I believe that it is about exercising that muscle. And I think creating goals and deadlines for yourself is crucial to the writing process. If you know that your writing is going to be seen even by one person in 30 days, you will work a lot harder on your writing. Um, so, you know, I, I think knowing yourself and really very honestly taking a look at yourself and and what type of procrastinator you are and what type of work ethic you have naturally will really help you figure out your own writer's routine and that will constantly shift and change, um, which is totally fine. But it takes really looking at yourself in the mirror and knowing who you are and, and how you work best. Now, when you're writing a book... 
if you're writing five days out of the week, let's say, yeah, are you only and always writing pieces for that book? Or do you ever take moments to just write freely, uh, creatively about something else? Not at all. Yeah, I, I definitely don't only write the book. I am someone that hates being constricted. So if I have to write for a book, chances are every time I sit down, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to write for fun today. It has nothing to do with the book. And most of the time, the pieces for the book will come from that. But it's again, it's about the mindset. I think people don't understand how difficult writing is. Um, It's very psychological and it's really more so, I think, about getting over the roadblocks in your mind versus on the paper. So for me personally, a lot of the times I have to tell myself that I'm writing for myself for fun, something unrelated to really birth the thing for the book. And other times I'll just do both or I'll work on two projects at the same time to allow myself to have that flexibility and that creativity because I get bored very easily and and to write for one thing every single day would drive me crazy. So I allow myself to have that freedom because I know that bits and pieces will come from whatever I'm creating as long as I'm creating. What's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? I think from my parents, they've always told me to never, ever, ever take no for an answer. And that if you really have a vision and a dream, you will do anything to make that happen. And so whenever I get rejected, I kind of use it as a a moment in the in the in the internal movie in my head it's like the moment where i'm like all right i lost it and now i'm gonna show them (laughs) what they're missing out on um so take rejection in stride and and absolutely never ever ever give up on your vision and your dream i love that you can really see how your parents advice has impacted your career i think even hearing more about your story, so many moments of your life that have been pivotal for your career, I think you can really, really see that you leaned on that advice. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Absolutely. I think it's important to listen and and speak to the elders in your life, whether they're your parents, grandparents, whoever it is, because chances are someone who has been alive for a lot longer than you knows a lot more, even if you don't want to hear it at some point, just like store it in your brain, because at some point it's going to be very useful. I couldn't agree more. To close this out, Asia, you're out of office. What do you do with your day? What do I do with my day? I... I like to live every single day as if it is the most important day because life is very short and it's important to take whatever you can from the day ahead of you, whether you need a more relaxed day and so you take less but you treat yourself or you have a ton of energy and you take up every single opportunity that comes your way. Just be very present and make the most out of every single moment. 
Thanks for joining my conversation with Asia. You can follow along with the latest news regarding her second book and follow her on Instagram at Asia May Rock. Thanks again for tuning in to the Out of Office podcast. Hit subscribe to keep up with us and of course, rate or share with a friend. Out of Office is not just a conversation with our guests. It's also a conversation with you. Send us your career questions to hotline at buybaba.com and we'll answer them in our upcoming episodes. This podcast was produced by Tinka Media and music was brought to you by Blue Dot Sessions.